ensemble. Appreciate appreciate y'all so much. Uh, we're beginning. We're continuing today a series uh, that's about discipleship. We call it Discipleship 101. Although I'm sure I stole that title from someone else, so uh, I hope I don't I don't get sued for copyright. But uh, it's 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 a series that just goes straight through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus's very words that he gave to his disciples, and uh, you know the the point, the overall point that we get every Sunday and. So sometimes you come to a point in the past, you're preaching through a certain thing, and it's like, okay, I feel like I'm saying the same thing. Uh, but the overall thing is that, is that disciples are different. Uh, they live differently. And, and that's the point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and I'll be honest, as I read it, uh, it, it challenges me. I, th I think if you read it and it doesn't challenge you, then there's probably something wrong. Uh, and so even as a pastor, I read these words, and, and I think, you know, I don't have it all down, and... I don't, I'm not sure if I understand it all completely. I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with a lot of it. Uh, but it reminds me, as, as I think about the disciples and where they were when they heard Jesus' words, uh, they weren't fully there yet. They were on the road. They were trying to, to be a disciple and figure out what all that meant. I'm reminded of, of, a, of a friend of mine and, and his cousin, uh, best friend from high school. He had a cousin named Sarah. And I first met Sarah at the lake. We had gone to the lake, and, and she was going to meet my friend and his family there uh, a little bit later. And, and so we're in the lake. We're about uh, waist-deep water, and, and my friend and I are just kind of you know, hanging out in, at the lake. And, and all of a sudden, Sarah had gone around from the bank and, and snuck up on, on my friend, and he didn't know it. And, and she jumps and, and tackles him and just has her arms around his neck. And, and he pauses for a second, but then he realizes who she is. And when he realizes who she is, they commence uh, with this, this wrestling match that probably was one of the more vigorous and aggressive wrestling matches I've seen between anybody, male, male or female. And as I had time to process what was going on, I, I looked at, at Sarah. And, and the first thing that struck me about Sarah was that she was bald. And, and it wasn't because she had a medical condition or anything like that. She shaved it. She was completely bald. And the second thing I, no I noticed about her is that she was wearing a bikini. And, and those two things just contrasted really sharply in my mind. And I thought, well, this is an interesting person, you know. Of course, we were teenagers, and, and you just do weird things when you're teenagers. Uh, but, but Sarah was one of the, the – she had so much energy and had so much to say, and, and she was just – a fireball. At first, I thought, I don't know how much I want to associate with this bald-headed, bikini-wearing <laughs> fireball. But as I got to know Sarah, I, I began to empathize with her. I began to learn her story. Uh, Sarah was about eight years old when her father passed away. He had a heart attack just out of the clear blue. And uh, Sarah's mother had been pretty much absent her whole life. She was raised by her father. And uh, her father was a good guy. He, he loved the Lord. He, he brought her to church. Uh, but when he died, she was charged uh, in care with her aunt, his, his father's sister. And her aunt was a good lady, but she was a very firm and strict Pentecostal. And so all of a sudden, knowing that and knowing the demands that, you know, that they, the way they kind of live and, you know, they have all the hair and they have all the clothes. Well, Sarah didn't have any hair or any clothes. And all of a sudden, I understood the contrast. And I understood what was going on in her mind. I understood what she was rebelling against. 
And the more I got to know Sarah, the more I realized that she really had this foundation in Jesus. She knew who Jesus was. She knew scripture. In fact, I have vivid memories of, of her coming to, to, to my friend's house and, and sitting on the porch. And, and as she smoked a cigarette and cussed, talked about the Bible, you know. And so she, she really had this foundation of, of, of who Jesus was, even though she was not really allowing him to change her into the person that maybe he wanted her to be. And so I ended up being a groomsman in Sarah's wedding. I was a senior in high school when that happened. Uh, not long after that, I graduated, and I lost touch with her. And, and I hadn't heard from her or seen her until a few years ago. And, and the social media being what it is, you get to reconnect with everybody. And I stumbled across Sarah. And imagine my surprise when her profile picture is her with this big head of, of, a, of hair, this big bun, Pentecostal bun on her head, a blue jean skirt, at church, and, and, and it says something about her husband, who was serving as that church's youth minister. And so something happened with Sarah. And, and, you know, I think if we're not careful, we look at people like that at a certain stage in their life. And we're real quick to say they're either in or they're out. You know, just draw these hard, fast conclusions. But the thing is, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we read the words that Jesus said to his disciples it would have been really easy to judge them as being out. Because when you look at how the disciples live throughout all the Gospels, they don't really do what Jesus says. This is what disciples do in the Gospels. They, they fight. They talk about who's greater than the other person. They all run away when Jesus is crucified. They don't really measure up all that well. And I think Jesus gives them the Sermon on the Mount not to say, this is the way you need to be right now. But to cast a vision for them, to say, this is, as a disciple of mine, who I want you to grow into being. As, as, you know, of course, Jesus knew that, that the Holy Spirit would come and that they would have help from on high. And, and they would have a way to grow into being this vision that he's giving them. But he knew that it wouldn't happen right away. So listen to what he says today as he's calling them in the Sermon on the Mount to, to, tr to be transformed. Matthew chapter 5, beginning... In verse 33, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is it his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt over your hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who, who, who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so as Jesus continues 
these sayings. He, he begins with, you heard it said this, but I tell you this. And, and there's so much of that in the body of the Sermon on the Mount. And as he does that, he tackles these subjects of oaths and retaliation and love. And in the same way that he, he does last week, he's calling his disciples not just to this new way of this new checklist, a new law. He's calling them over and above the accepted religious ways of being. And the only way to adopt this high way of living that he's calling is, is to be transformed, to allow him to transform you. And so he lists some things that following Jesus to transform. And the first thing we kind of touched on that, I think, with the kids this morning, following Jesus should transform your motivations. And Jesus communicates this by talking about your words and oaths. Uh, the Mosaic law said that you don't you don't you could not give an oath that was in Yahweh's name, in the name of the Lord and, and break it. Because if you did, you're not just breaking a promise. You're not just breaking an important promise. <laughs> But, but it's just like breaking a vow to the Lord. And you know, Glenn talked about reading some of the Old Testament and how God re responded in, 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 the, in the way that he reacted. Uh, and, and you see, when you read the Old Testament, he didn't take vows that were broken all that lightly. And so what the rabbis did, what all the religious Jewish people did, they got together and, and they said, you know, maybe we're not going to swear on, on the name of the Lord, but... But we can swear on things that are kind of related to the Lord, you know, kind of like we say, well, do you promise, you know, well, do you swear, you know, and it keeps getting bigger. Well, you can swear, you can make a promise by heaven, you can swear on, on earth and, and, you know, all these things that are kind of related to God. And, and they would argue with one another over which one was as closely related to God and was more binding. And, and it's ridiculous, right? It, it's it just devolves into legalism and, and it's tedious. And so Jesus says on verse 33 on your screen, you heard it was said to people long ago, don't break the, your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. And he goes on to say, because if you, if you do it by heaven, you're doing it by the place where God's glory is. And if you do it by earth, well, you're doing it by the place that God made. And you know, that's his, his footstool. That's where his creation is. Resides. And so that's related to him. In fact, don't even do it by your own head because God created you and he knows the numbers on your head. And so it's just impossible. It's impossible to break anything that you say and and it not be connected to God to, to somehow. And, you know, some groups have taken this this passage super literal and they won't take formal oaths in court. Uh, but Matthew 26, Jesus, Jesus swears under oath. That he's the Messiah to, to the high priest. He's the son of God. The thing is not uh, legalistically taking an oath. The thing is the motivation behind that. When Jesus took an oath, it was because he wanted them to know this is really the truth. Not because he wanted to keep himself from telling a lie. He wanted them to know it was the truth. Your yes is yes and your no is no when it comes apart from any other motivation to be deceitful. So that's what we ask ourselves. What's our motivation? I want to tell you about the motivation of a guy named Jim Delegati. You may not, anyone know the name, Jim Delegati? No one knows his name, but you probably, I think you probably know what he invented. In the late 1960s, he was, uh, he owned about 12 McDonald's chains. And this was the time, uh, you ever see that movie, The Founder, about McDonald's? You learn a lot through that movie. This was the time when, when other chains started coming up and, and sort of like mimicking what McDonald's was doing, but competing. And, and Burger King was one of them. And, you know, they have the Whopper, right? 
And, and so they were competing with McDonald's. I'm sorry if this doesn't excite you, but I just like fast food. And, uh, and so he's decided, I have, you know, we have to do something. And so uh, McDonald's had always had this way of creating their food in a very streamlined, basic way. And they just had one kind of basic burger. Well, he decided that he, we need something special, something different that made them stood apart. And he caught so much flack from, from the upper-level management. But he finally convinced them, and in the change that he uh, managed, they started serving what you know as the Big Mac. And it immediately just caught on, and, and, and they started selling them nationwide And a year later. And, of course, now that's a household name. In 1986, they created the Big Mac Index. And, and you can actually find out whether currency is over or underinflated based on the price of a Big Mac in a certain country, a certain part of the world. That's how well known that thing is. And so a lot of people have assumed, well, golly, surely he got some kind of royalty. We don't even know who his name is, though. Surely he got some kind of royalty or a reward. And the only thing he ever got from McDonald's Corporation was a plaque. That's it. Of course, he probably made money, you know, and he saved his franchises from, from being, you know, uh, going out of business. But part of us thinks, well, there should have been something. How are people going to be motivated, right? That's how we motivate people, by, by giving them things. If we're not careful, that, that type of thinking bleeds over into uh, everything. It can bleed over in, into the way we serve the Lord. And we might reason, well, you know, I, I love the Lord and... And, and, and I used to go to church or I used to, to, to do all this stuff in the church, but but I don't really know what it got me. I don't know if it if it if it really got me something. And that's the kind of thinking when we're just thinking, what do I get? What is my motivation? Or we think, well, I'll try my best to come to church or I'll try my best to serve the Lord, do and do what he wants. And gosh, that's better than nothing. That's better than than the guy that or the girl that doesn't bring their family to church at all or, or pray or anything like that, I'll do a, a little bit. The thing that we're basing that on is our motivation, what we get out of it. And Jesus says, you don't follow me because you, what you might get or what you might have. You just follow me because, because I lead to the ways of life and of truth. And so we follow him and we, and we let him transform our motivations. When we do that, he can transform our reactions. How we respond to what it is that other people do that we may or may not be in control of. I know Christmas is well over, but one of my favorite movies is A Christmas Story. And in, in the movie, the little boy named Ralphie gets the BB gun, you know, and everyone tells him he's going to shoot his eye out. And there's this scene where he's, the whole family is, is in the car and they, they bought a Christmas tree and they're coming home. And they get a flat tire. And, and Ralphie's dad is, is, is just kind of this rough, blue-collar kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's a loving guy, but he's also pretty, got a, a thick skin. And, and so uh, he's changing his tire, and, and his mom suggests to Ralphie, Ralphie's mom says, why don't you go and help your dad? And so he goes outside, and his dad just looks at him and says, what? And he says, mom, mom said I should come and help. Oh, okay. And so he hands him a hubcap. And, and as his dad is, is changing uh, tires, he's taking off the lug nuts and, and he's putting them in the hubcap for, for Ralphie to hold. And, and he goes through all of them and, and he gets the other tire on and, and he's ready. He turns to Ralphie and he just turns too fast and his elbow bumps the hubcap and it goes flying in the air. And the lug nuts go flying and it's dark and there's snow on the ground. And Ralphie says, my first thought was that we were going to lose them. We weren't going to be able to find them. And I said, oh, remember, fudge. And the narrator of the movie says, 
but I didn't say fudge. And you know what he said. And the next scene is him sitting on the toilet with a bar of soap in his mouth. And his mom is interrogating him. Where did you hear that word? And he says, I couldn't bring myself to tell her that I'd heard it from my dad. Sometimes we miss the implications of our reactions until we see them repeated in another person or mimicked. Jesus talks about this reaction in verse 38 on your screen. And, and we, we say it, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was an Old Testament law, but it wasn't given as often we think of it. As this thing that's supposed to, to be a reaction against something that somebody else does. You did this to me and I'm going to do this to you. It wasn't given for that. In fact, it was a law that was given for, for the opposite reason. So people wouldn't want to go after others, you know, because it had been settled. But it became this law, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And we still say it today, you know, you tit for tat. Someone does it to me, I'm going to do it right back to them. Interesting, though, we even recognize that that makes a horrible law, doesn't it? I mean, if we just go around stealing from the people that stole from us, hurting the people that hurt us, killing the people that may kill one of our relatives, we, we just can't do that, right? But it's funny because the first thing that happens when the kids are on a playground and they get in a fight and the teacher splits them up, they fall back into this carnal thinking. And what do they say? Well, he started it or she started it. And they know, they know full well. Well, the rules don't say no fighting unless the other kid starts it, right? The rules just say no fighting, period. It's just a natural reaction for us. And Jesus is calling his disciples above this natural reaction. He says, I tell you, do not, verse 39 on your screen, do not resist an evil person. Not just don't react, but, but don't, 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 don't resist them. You have to remember that when Jesus is, is, is giving the Sermon on the Mount, he's relating everything back to this idea of following him, of discipleship. And he's not telling his disciples to just let other people run over you or to hurt you or to be mean to you. He's saying you don't have to let what other people do to cause you to react a certain way. If you're not following them, if you're following me, then you, you are following something that can lead you to act in a totally different way. But often, even in our faith, we spend more time reacting, don't we, than we do anything else. We forget to pray. Then something bad happens all of a sudden and we, and we fall to our knees and we become, we become a prayer warrior, right? Oh God, would you please just do this? It's, it's a reaction. Or, or you know, we, we, things are going well and then we have a question or, or we, we have a hard time figuring out what God wants us to do. And all of a sudden we, we pick up the Bible because we're looking for wisdom. That's, that's a reaction. That's not following Christ. That's just Reacting, And it doesn't require any initiative on our part. Jesus says, stop reacting in your faith. And ultimately, when you do that, he'll transform your ability to love. It's not just about following. It's not just about kind of going here and following the leader. It's, it's, it's loving in this way that Jesus loves that doesn't have conditions. Benedictine monks live, current monks today, uh, they've been around for 1,500 years, and they follow this writing called the Rule of St. Benedict. Uh, yeah. and, and in this writing is, is the ways that they're supposed to live, and some of it's kind of loosely based on the Sermon on the Mount.
But they have this, this one interesting practice, and it's based on, on the, the, the idea that we should be hospitable towards one another. They, they have a guy that answers the door. He's called the porter, and, and they rotate this job. And anytime someone comes to the monastery and knocks on the door, it's his job to not only let everybody else in the monastery know someone's there, but, but to greet them and make sure that they're greeted well and promptly. And they even have a prescribed greeting. When someone knocks on the door, they respond, thanks be to God, your blessing, please. That's their response, whether they know who it is or not. And you think, well, that's just dumb. I mean, what if they're there, you know, serving you papers or something? Thanks be to God, your blessing, please. And one Benedictine author says we, we do that because the way we answer the door is the way we deal with the world. Can you imagine if you answer your door that way? I think just about every day between about 5 and 7 o'clock in our neighborhood, it's prime time for solicitation. And, and the people are knocking on the doors for, for to drum up political support, to uh, raise money for fundraising or... Uh, just all kinds of reasons and, and selling things. Well, as, as a guy with young kids, that's also the time that we're you know, trying to do dinner and trying to get things settled and trying to get homework done if there's any and get down to bed at some point and then do it all again the next day. You know? So they come and knock on the door and, and they have the re and, and, and you know how I, what I, my, what I want to say is, hey, can you, just, can you just write your address on a slip of paper and, and uh, I'll put it in my pocket. And then when I have time, I'll come knock on your door, you know, uh, and, and I won't give you any warning. And then we can talk about it then, right? I wonder how they would react. But I think they would even be more freaked out if they knocked on the door and I opened the door and said, well, thanks be to God. What a blessing. Come on in and give me your sales pitch. That might get him to leave. Maybe I should try that. <laughs> Jesus' instructions are not natural. He says, you've heard it said, verses 33, 43 and 44, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, there's nowhere in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus, a lot of these things Jesus is quoting are laws from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.18 says you're, you're to, to uh, you love one another. You love your neighbor. But it doesn't say hate your enemy. That's, that's something that people sort of tacked on. You know how we have little religious phrases? And we did a whole series several months ago about, you know, things that aren't in the Bible. But we just people say them and they kind of think they are, you know. Uh, God helps those who help themselves and those kind of saints. And, and that's kind of what had happened. People said, yeah, you, you love your neighbor. And then they kind of think, oh, yes, that means you get to hate your enemy, right? Well, no, God never said that. That's not in, in the Bible. Jesus says, that's what you've heard, but this is what I'm calling you to. And it feels right, though. The other way feels natural. Love those who love you, hate those who hate you. An eye for eye and a tooth for two. But Jesus says, even, even the sinners, even the pagans, even the tax collectors know how to do that. I remember the week of the week when, when we celebrated MLK, Martin Luther King Day. They, the kids learned about that in school. And, uh, you know, Emily kind of has this delayed thing. You know, she'll talk about things a week or so later after they happen. And I try to just be quiet to, to find out, you know, what she thinks about things. And, and she started talking about that. And uh, she's, she's talked about Martin Luther King and how he was killed. And uh, because he talked about how we should, you know, love everyone regardless of what they look like. And she said, yeah, I let her keep talking. And she, she was telling me like she had no idea. Like I didn't like I didn't know about about that. And I just let her talk and. 
she finally finished and she was quiet for a minute and she said, but I don't understand. I said, you don't understand what? She said, I, I don't know why people would not like other people based on because of the way they look. And, and I wanted to say, well, I don't understand either. But but the truth is, we kind of do understand because we're older and, and we've lived in our world and we know the kind of things that come with with history and and, and just just a sinful world. And, and we understand that. But just because something is understandable and even just because something is accept, acceptable, Jesus says, that's not what it's like to follow me. That's not the way that you follow in as a disciple. And if you're like me, Jesus's words on the Sermon on the Mount are just challenging. I read them and I think there's no way I could live up to some of the stuff that he's saying. The disciples didn't do a great job either. Scripture bears out that they struggled as well. But the thing is, there came a point when they received the Holy Spirit that the transformation started. There came a point for my, for my friend's cousin, Sarah, and I don't know when it was. I kind of wish I did. I wish I could get her backstory. But there came a point where, where she started transforming. And I doubt, I doubt it was like that. I doubt she just woke up one day and she said, you know, I think I'm going to grow my hair out and wear a Pentecostal skirt. I doubt very seriously it was like that. I think it was a process. But there came a point where she decided, I'm ready. I'm open to, to let Jesus take the lead, to let him transform me as I strive to follow him. This morning, if that's not something you've been doing, something you've been struggling with, I hope maybe today would just be the day that you say, I'm I'm ready. You know, I, I'm a Christian and I, and I love the Lord, but I'm ready to allow Jesus really form me and shape me and have my life. Pray with me. God, we all have a hard time kind of not letting you be who you want to be in our lives. We, we struggle. We struggle with following. And, and, and a large part is it because for me, it's because of fear. Because I want to be the person that's in control. I want to be the person that, that dictates everything. Especially when I read the Sermon on the Mount and I see how counterintuitive the way that you expect me to be is sometimes. God, this morning, remind us of the life that can be found in you when we lay our own down. Remind us of the way that you lead us and guide us when we give you our lives. Help us to do that. Help us to surrender today. And God, if someone needs to make a decision to help them do that in some way, help them to do so. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do invite you, if God is saying that you need to, to make a decision, you need to join our church and